0: We went in a sermon series for a few weeks, and we're working through the Gospel of Luke. And we've seen that Jesus Christ is to be the Lord of our attitudes, and we've seen that He's also supposed to be the Lord of our relationships. And on this Easter morning, I want to remind us that Jesus Christ is the Lord of life. He's not in the grave anymore. He's alive. He is the Lord of life. Now, it would be a huge understatement to say that Jesus Christ is absolutely unique. There are so many characteristics about him, so many things about Jesus Christ that make him stand alone and distinctive. But on this day, we celebrate, I think, the most significant characteristic of all, his ability to come back from the dead, his resurrection. In Luke chapter 9, just after Jesus had miraculously fed this huge crowd of people, and the crowds were making all kinds of noise, lots of noise about Jesus. And that sets the stage for our text today. It's Luke chapter 9, verse 18. The Bible says, Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Now, just like the people in the first century, you and I are also faced with some choices and we're also faced with some decisions about who Jesus really is. Notice Jesus' question. He says, in a sense, who does the world say that Jesus is? That's the first thing he asks. What's the people, who does the world say? Now back in the first century, people saw Jesus in a variety of ways. And when you think about it, <clears throat> what the disciples said was really very positive. It's almost as if they're they're making an effort to compliment Jesus to a certain degree when they said, "They're calling you a great prophet." You know, uh, they they think that somebody like John the Baptist, you know, or somebody like Elijah. They believe you're a really great guy. But here's what's interesting. That's what you hear. A lot of people say even today. They say, oh, Jesus, he's a good guy, he's a good man, but I, you know, I don't buy all the story about him necessarily, but his words are certainly compelling. I mean, I, I think that even some of his teachings could be maybe beneficial for society so long as his words are taught as just one way, not the only way. That's what you hear, but there's a problem there because if Jesus... If Jesus is just a good teacher who could captivate a crowd with his teachings, as long as his teaching didn't have too much to do with decisions we have to make, then it's okay for the world. They're quite fine with him. But there's a problem here. Jesus never left this option over to us. C.S. Lewis once wrote, you cannot merely say that Jesus Christ was just a good man. He's not left that available to us. For if he's not the Son of God as he claims, he's a terrible liar and not a good man at all. So you see, when it comes to Christ, it's all or nothing. And regardless of what the world might say, we Christians, we need to grasp that truth and understand it. Second, who does Simon Peter say that Jesus is? So it's not just the world. It's interesting to think about Peter's testimony here. Now it's getting personal, by the way. It's so one thing to talk about how the world thinks about things. It's different to how we individually think about it. Look at verses 20 through 21. Here's, here's what he says. Well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ of God. And he strictly warned them at that point, Jesus did, not to tell anybody. About this. Now, why did he do that? Because the timing wasn't right. His true identity, if it was made public, would change the time frame that he had. Jesus was very much aware of his destiny. And it would only hinder his travels even more with the crowds if everybody was beginning to pick up on exactly who he was. But the point here, though, is that Peter, he had the right answer. Now, Luke is giving us one version of this. That's why we have several Gospels. But in Matthew's Gospel, here's the full version of it. Chapter 16, verse 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, historically, when Jesus asked this question, he was in a region of the country called Caesarea Philippi. And this was a really pagan part of the world. Ancient idols and pagan gods and graven images were all over Caesarea Philippi, which is probably why Peter emphasized that Jesus was the son of the living God, not just a bunch of dead and worthless idols. You see, never ever forget that Jesus is the Lord of life. And a few months later, he is going to prove this because the grave could not hold him. A reality that Christians have celebrated on Easter Sunday down through history. But Peter was not the only one who conceded this. He concluded that Jesus was the Christ. but He wasn't the only one that has done it. Most any time you look at those who got to know Jesus, they came to similar conclusions. Just ask the angels, well, what did you think of Jesus Christ? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Ask John the Baptist what he thinks about Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You can even ask a demon what he thought of Jesus Christ. What do you want to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Ask Judas Iscariot what he thinks of Jesus Christ, and he'll say, I have sinned, I have betrayed innocent blood. Ask the Apostle Paul what he thinks of Jesus, he'll declare, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Ask Pontius Pilate what he thinks of Jesus, and he'll say, I find no basis for charge against him. Ask the centurion who was standing at the foot of the cross, and he'll say to you, surely this man was the Son of God. And ask Thomas what he thinks, Old doubting Thomas what he thinks of Christ, and he will now fall on his face before him and declare, my Lord and my God. And if Jesus asks you that question this Easter morning, who do you say that I am? What would you say? I mean, who do you think Jesus really, really is? You know, some people might say, well, I don't know know Jesus very well. You know, it's not like I can put my faith in someone that's so far removed from the current time and from me. Or somebody might say, well, I don't go to church a whole lot and I don't read the Bible much. I can't put a lot of faith in somebody I just don't know so little about. Isn't that interesting? You know, you and I put our faith in people all the time that we don't really know. Have you ever thought about it? If you had just moved to this area and you got sick, well, there'd be several things that would have to be done. You were ill. Here's what you would do. You would schedule an appointment with a doctor that you'd never met. You just got here, of course. And he would tell you that you have a sickness that you can't even pronounce. He would write out a prescription for you that you can't read. He would then he would take it to the pharmacist and that you would never met, never seen, who would tell you to swallow something that you've never tasted. Seems like a little bit of faith is going to be required here, but that's what we're talking about, isn't it? The Bible puts it this way. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And this Easter morning, the good news is, Is that we have so much evidence, so much proof to support our faith. We have eyewitness testimonies. We have all of the prophecies about Jesus written centuries before he was even born, and he fulfilled every one of them. We have historical, we have archaeological evidence. We have, of course, the scriptures, the written record that transcended time and just as is just as able to meet our needs today as it was back then. And we have thousands upon thousands of lives that have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So either Jesus is the Messiah, God's risen Son, who conquered the grave, or or he's a fraud. There is no middle ground here. So on this Easter morning, what do you say? Is he king of kings and lord of life? Or just somebody who kind of fooled and faked his way through the history and got into the history books? Now every person is free to believe whatever you you want to, I suppose. But if you truly do believe that the reason we're here today to celebrate Easter is because of Jesus rose from the dead, and he was exactly who he says that he was, if you really do believe that, then that Knowledge that belief, is supposed to radically make a difference in the way you and I live. In fact, one of the things that we overlook sometimes about coming to church, uh, besides hoping the donuts don't run out, such things as that, I, I imagine they did today. I don't know. I haven't got mine yet. But no, I mean, there's something that has to happen here before we can really, really appreciate the reason the reason that we're here now i want to change gears or is it shift gears which way would it be shift gears shift gears talk for just a brief moment about college basketball <laughs> uh, i mean it's finally over for a while you know i mean it's 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 going to be back eventually eventually but if you follow sports much at all <clears throat> then you know There's a challenge that is tied to sports called recruiting. It's a major effort. Lots of time, effort, resources, money is devoted to recruiting individuals to play basketball. Now, that's going to carry my analogy out here. I want you to understand. Every time that Nick and I stand up here, every time, what happens is that in one sense, we are recruiters. We're recruiters for Jesus Christ. You know, after his resurrection, Jesus told his followers, you go out into all the world and make disciples. So the primary focus of the the church, not to just nurture us and love us and, and be such a wonderful place to gather and fellowship, but it is a recruiting center for Jesus Christ. So part of our job is to persuade you to join the Lord's team. He promises that we win over sin and we'll win over death. He promises that he'll help us grow to spiritual maturity. He promises us he'll give us answers to some of the hard questions that we're struggling with in our life. Jesus alone can make those kind of promises, and he's the only one who can fulfill them because he is God, and he proved that by rising from the dead. But you know what? This is why we preachers like Easter Sunday. This is our largest recruiting opportunity of the whole year. <laughs> I mean, in fact, it, 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 oh, you know, you ever have a dog that really, really you love and like, and he's done a good thing being a good dog and looking after your property and so on, you know? And then some some opportunity comes up, and and you know you want your dog to move quickly. What do you do? You say sick him. All right. You ever notice that? Well, when I get in front of a crowd this size, that's like saying, sick them. <laughs> it's a bad analogy, but it's how I feel. It's what oh, what a special opportunity we have. More people come to church on this day than any other day of the year. And in a sense, we host, we're hosting potential recruits on this Easter. We try to make a good impression We hope your experience is a good one. We certainly hope you'll come back. We hope that you'll join our team one day. But here's the deal. We don't want to recruit you under false pretenses. The Lord Jesus already has too many followers who think that being a Christian just means showing up at church whenever it's convenient. Jesus requires a daily commitment from us, and there's this high standard that He's rightfully able to expect because He's the Lord of life. And He talked about this in the ninth chapter of Luke's Gospel. He identified Himself as the Messiah. He said, I'm going to go die for your sins very, very soon. He said, and then I'm going to be raised from the dead. He shared this with his intimate disciples there. But then Jesus was extremely candid about what he expected of those who were going to follow him. Luke 9.23 If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now this verse suggests three words that define what's required of a recruit, of a disciple of Jesus Christ. All right? The first verse, the word is these three words. Uh, by the way, these are not very popular ones either. They're not terribly excitable, but they're necessary. Here's the first one. It's a hyphenated word, actually. Self-denial. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. That means that you have to be more into honoring Christ Jesus than gratifying your desires. Believing in God and trusting that he knows all things and will guide you rather than trusting in your own understanding of things. Now, this is not a popular notion because uh, more and more and more we live in a time of self-indulgence. And living in an affluent country like our own, our own, we don't practice much or teach our children much about self-denial. And uh, if we or our kids want something bad enough, usually, usually they get it. And I guarantee that those of us who are grandparents here, we're not too much into self-denial either. Because you know, someone asked a grandfather if his little granddaughter was spoiled, and he said, "Well, I don't really know. I've never told her no." <laughs> how many grandparents understand this yeah? yes a few of you how many let me do that again how many grandparents are in? I'll tell you what you grandparents are acting like you're ashamed a little bit that's okay but anyway this is the time this is the age of instant gratification we just want it right now we want it we buy it if it feels good we do it if we think it we say it if we can't get it from mom and dad we go to your grandparents you know But i got to be honest with you. If you're going to be a genuine follower of the Christ Jesus, it's going to require some self-denial from us. Listen to what 1 Peter 2.11 says about self-denial. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. You know, the Bible teaches we have certain innate desires that will drag us down if we yield to them. But a follower of Jesus Christ is one who makes a conscious decision to restrain those impulses and to allow the Lord Jesus to be the Lord of all of our desires. Maybe you're lustful and you're kind of caught up with a desire for immorality. But if you're a Christian, you deny yourself, you deny seeking fulfillment... And you seek it only in the boundaries of marriage. Maybe you're angry in a sense and you just furiously want to retaliate and physically, maybe even verbally abuse people. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you deny those selfish desires and express kindness. Maybe you're greedy and you really, really like to have money and you'll do anything somehow to get it, like maybe cheat the IRS or whatever. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you resist that temptation. You pay what you owe. Because you see, the word disciple and the word discipline come from exactly the very same root. And if we're going to be enlisted in the program of Jesus Christ, we're expected to discipline ourselves and practice self Denial. That's the first word that's important. The second word is another unpopular what's called sacrifice. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You know, in the first century, crosses were not uh, decorative ornaments that people wore as jewelry. The cross was viewed as an instrument of execution. And when Jesus died on that cross, he was not forced to die against his will. He died out of, he he did not die a martyr's death or anything like that. He died a sacrificial death, substitutionary death. He chose to give his life as an atonement or payment for our sins. John 10, 17, Jesus says, I lay down my life only to take it up again. Look at this. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And he says, you need to take up your cross. This means that we voluntarily make the sacrifices necessary for Jesus to honor him, but also for other people. It has to do with being willing to give up our resources, things like our time, our money, our talent, our energy. Philippians 2, four says each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What was the attitude? He gave his life. He surrendered comforts. And such self-sacrifice is not something this generation is really accustomed to doing. We don't, we don't understand it as much. We kind of put ourselves out there. We kind of put ourselves first. But Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to be willing to be a, a living sacrifice every day. Someone has defined sacrifice as giving up that which you love for something or someone that you love more. So, sacrifice is our second word. And then the third word is submission. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, now we don't like the idea of following much. Ever think about that? somebody said if we lined up all the people in the whole United States along the interstate between here and California and put them in one lane and then turn them loose the first thing that 99% of us would do would be pull out to pass <laughs> we don't like following we want to lead, we want to be on chart you know we're not, we're not really into that in fact you don't even see very many books on followership it's always leadership Question authority. You know, you seldom hear anybody say, submit to authority. That's not, doesn't preach well, I guess. But James 4, 7 says, submit, submit yourselves then to God. And if you're going to be followers of the living Christ, a submissive and humble mindset is kind of what's required. This has to do with an attitude towards authority. Authority. Our selfish pride says, I don't feel like going to church this week. I want to sleep in. But if you follow Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you submit to his word, and surely as a private submits to the words of a commanding officer. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, Let us not give up meeting together, as the habit of some is, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. So we get up, and, and we head to church. Our intellectual pride says, well, I don't want to speak up for the integrity of the Bible at work or in a classroom context. People will think I'm ignorant or something, but if Jesus is Lord of your life, you study God's Word, and then you speak boldly, you speak strongly. Luke 9.26 says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. Our stubborn pride says, well, I don't feel like forgiving the guy who lied about me. I want to get even." But if Jesus is Lord of your life and you follow him, then you'll obey Jesus' words. In Mark eleven twenty five. if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may judge or forgive you your sins. See, why do we do all these things? Why do we do them because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He gave His life on that cross for our sins and that He rose again in power and glory and we submit to Him as Lord of our lives. And we do this by repenting of our sins and being obedient to Him, by being baptized, by committing to faithfully live the life that He calls us to live. If the Lord wants us wants to be the Lord of your life, He calls you to be His disciple. And we would love to have many of you who have not made this decision yet, we'd love to have you as a committed member of the church here, but make no mistake, this is a commitment that needs to be made by faith to live a life of self-denial and self-sacrifice and humble submission to the Lord. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So on this Easter morning, if you're not a follower of Christ and you'd like to learn more about this commitment, or perhaps maybe you're a Christian and uh, you, you don't have a church home yet, perhaps, then I invite you to indicate your interest. We have little cards on the back of the seats there, and uh, they are various purposes that they serve. One of them is a Connect card, and that comes directly from here. It ends up in my office, and I'd love to hear from you. Right? Maybe you've got to hear more about what we're talking about on this Easter. Sometimes we have to have a big event to just bring us around to remembering and appreciating life and purpose and having meaning and knowing why we get up every day. And I think that's another purpose of Easter. It's, it's a good time to get together. I cannot tell you how pleased I am that you've made time to be here today. And I just, uh, I just you know what would really be cool, though, is if I get to see all of you again next Sunday. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, if you were to do that, I would see we've got plenty of donuts. <laughs> I would see that Mark takes care of that. Mark's the guy that does the donuts. But I think it's just so exciting and so important. Sometimes we have to have a, a an annual reminder of what the cost of recruiting is. And that's what I wanted to give you on this Easter Sunday. Bow your heads with me as we pray, and the team comes back to lead us in our closing. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful group of folks that have come out today. At some point in time in life, you have... You have touched their lives and you've touched their hearts. People don't come out to an Easter sunrise service unless there's a reason. And Father, I thank you today that you brought these folks here to, to just share and to celebrate and to, to rejoice in the fact that we serve a risen Savior. He's in our hearts today. And Lord, I pray that as we go forward now in the future, that if there's questions that folks have, that they'll ask them. I pray that there's a if you're nudging and moving someone, perhaps you're, you're, you're speaking to someone's heart right now about decisions that have been put off for too long. And I just ask, Father, that you would just bless our church, but most importantly, I would ask you bless all these people individually, that they would come to have a deep and abiding appreciation for your love for us. Because that's really the thing that motivates us and moves us. You know, you have set the example. You set the bench. You set the mark high. And now we are called to stand with you, to follow you, and in a sense, to die with you, to die to ourselves, one of the most challenging things ever in life. And my prayer is, is that as we leave the building today, this morning, that you will take our hearts in your hands and speak to us throughout the next few days about amazingly this important issue. Who are we going to serve? Ourselves, or are we going to serve you? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless every one of these folks. Encourage them as only you can. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.